Excellent. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, very, very excited uh, that Vishesh could spend uh, time with us today. Uh, I know it's coming to the end of the year and a lot of reporting requirements are figuring in. But, uh, you know, uh, the COVID vaccine just came in. Uh, there's a lot of optimism coming out. And, you know, we thought this would be a great time to, to, to take a pause and see where we are at with the economy. Uh, the Honorable Prime Minister has announced a large number of uh, reforms in the past uh, three to five months as well. Uh, we are beginning to see the contours of that, really to understand now uh, what do these uh, re uh, reforms mean uh, and what will be the impact. So I think we are going to start off uh, with a, a, a quick run through the numbers. Is that right, Vishesh? I thought I'd just uh, make some opening comments. Uh, Perfect. Yeah, it's fantastic. <clears throat> but I think uh, with anything like this, uh, let me first start with a disclaimer. I'm not feeling 100%. Uh, so thank you, uh, Aditya and uh, CII, uh, for inviting me to uh, you know, speak to you on the state of the economy and the prospects. Uh, the you know, second disclaimer I would use here is, you know, I'm not an economist. I'm an accountant and a business leader. And therefore, if you were looking at you know an economist's perspective on the economy, uh, this may not be uh, the best place for you. Uh, I can only share with you from a business perspective uh, what what I'm seeing. I, I will share some you know, statistics uh, towards the end of this if there is still time. So, um, um, you know, I am going to pause uh, Vishesh's disclaimer there. You know, uh, the reason why uh, we sort of <laughs> wanted him to do this is that, uh, you know, most economists, they just, uh, you know, look at it from an armchair perspective. But uh, but Vishesh leads, you know, one of the top ac accounting firms in the country. They are involved at the back end doing everything from turnarounds to audits. Uh, they are deeply, deeply involved uh, even in, in a lot of government matters. And I know uh, Vishesh can't share a, a whole bunch of that because it is confidential. But uh, he's the perfect guy who actually is seeing the numbers as they play out. And and, and so that's why we have him here and, and would love to get questions that sort of deep dive into that expertise as well. Sorry, Vishesh, please, back to you. No, thank you, uh, Aditya, for the generous uh, introduction. <clears throat> so I think, you know, let me just set the context at a high level. You know, this pandemic is going to result in about a 5% contraction in the global economy in this current year, 2020. Uh, everybody's expecting that contraction to reverse next year just under 5% or entirely reversed next year. But I think that corresponds to somewhere between 12 to $14 trillion as a whole in the global economy, right? A 12 to $14 trillion hole. And just to contrast that for you, the Indian economy is just short of 3 trillion, right? Uh, to put that hole that the global economy has seen because of this pandemic. Again, to put that into context for you, if you were to compare that uh, the best reference point for comparison perhaps would be the global financial crisis of 2008. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, uh, this impact of this pandemic is expected to be at least double of the impact on the global economy. The whole that crisis blew versus this crisis um, will, it, will blow by the time it's over will be twice the size. Um, the big difference further is that at that time you would remember you know, China was booming. China single-handedly carried a lot of the economies 
that were you know, dependent on commodities, you know, being big commodity producers, the Australias of the world. That situation now is quite different. Uh, <clears throat> I think uh, you know if you look at the numbers already, more than 150,000, 1 lakh 50,000 small and mid-sized businesses in the US have shut shop permanently. That's the number in the US. In India, out of our six or seven million MSMEs, I would expect that number to be anywhere between five and ten times that one lakh fifty thousand number, one hundred fifty thousand in the US. So, you know, just as an opening statement, all I would say is vaccines. You talked about that. That is terrific news uh, for everybody. But the echo effect of this pandemic is going to be long. Let's not. Uh, you know, forget that, and I'll come into you know, come to why you know, the shadow this pandemic will cast on us will be a very long one, uh, and not just 2021. Uh, <clears throat> but I think upfront, I also ought to you know, perhaps recognize the Indian scenario. Um, and when you look at it, I'd like to look at the long term. Uh, you know, uh, the, you know, since 2014, uh, the two terms of you know, Prime Minister Modi, we're now you know, well into the second term. Um, of course, what the first term was characterized by was you know, really significant legislation uh, that has resulted in the position we are today, which is an entirely different business climate to what the climate was pre-2014. So if anybody believes the India of today and the India you know, back in 2013 was the same country even to do business in, you ought to uh, you know, relook, at, relook at things. You know, not just the insolvency and bankruptcy code, you touched on that there, but Vera, GST, the simplification and implementation of the Companies Act, uh, you know, demonetization and the digitization. Collectively, you know, so much new legislation that business you know, has had to deal with and, and adopt over that period. Uh, of course, also what we've seen is the Prime Minister himself lead from the front on ease of doing business. Um, and I understand the criticism around you know it only being Delhi and Bombay data, but you know that significant move from 134 to you know the uh, low 60s, uh, 70 point jump is a massive, massive transformation. I can show you. Uh, I have a slide in the deck later later on what comprises that move, but that's a massive uh, you know transformation. Uh, indeed, is given a playbook for competitive federalism, right? How. Do you get states to adopt that same priority and you know compete with each other on how they are doing or is doing business? Um, since then, in this Modi 2.0, you know the current uh, uh, government of Prime Minister Modi, uh, again very significant moves. If you look at you know the corporate tax reduction, um, you know for new units as well as overall corporate tax reduction is a you know, significant uh, step that wasn't expected outside a budget, right? If you look at uh, you know, the new education policy. That's been announced. The you know certainly the uh, you know new essential commodities uh, amendment act. I know there is you know, not full buy-in on that, but you know the farm uh, changes the uh, ending government monopoly you know across sectors. What's happening on privatization? Um, <clears throat> the labor courts you know 29 you know labor courts you know being consolidated into you know four uh, the uh, you know impetus to manufacturing. You know and if you look at it. You know, everyone was suspecting what does Make in India really stand for. But again, this crisis has perhaps provided that opportunity, you know, to put some substance behind the intention of Make in India through Atmanirbhar Bharat, 
through the production-linked incentive schemes and the like. So, uh, you know, the India of today is definitely a different India to what you were used to, rightly so in many, many ways, and is set up for, I would, uh, you know, take a punt on that, set up for, um, you know, exponentially different performance than what we've seen in the last four or five years as <clears throat> some of these changes have, have come in. So changing uh, track and going back to COVID uh, uh, for a minute, uh, really if you, if, you, if you look at COVID, in the living memory of everybody who's alive today, it is the first real global crisis, right, which has impacted almost every country around the world. Uh, if you look at you know, most of the other crises, it was still restricted to a certain number of markets, may have hit other markets in some ways. Um, what it provides is, you know, the opportunity, of course, to learn from the positives. How do you, you know, replicate the development of vaccines at this space? You know, six, seven, eight months uh, to have multiple vaccines would be phenomenal. But also a wake-up call for the future. I think, uh, uh, you know, how do we uh, ensure that nation states can learn from the mistakes made, but also learn from you know, uh, that these sort of crises will play up again in the future, right? whether it is around, you know, climate change or the natural disasters that climate change all of us hope will not happen but will happen um, but how do you know, nation states come together and play play their part uh, how do we as a nation state learn uh, you know from you know the tragedies we've seen and make a different investment in healthcare versus what we've been doing you know currently making the 1.3 percent of our of our gdp of course as far as the indian response is concerned the indian response to the pandemic uh, uh, there are clearly two views. Uh, you know, uh, the first one on the quantum of the response, uh, you know, was fiscal deficit targeting, country sovereign rating, uh, you know, being top of mind. Was that the right response? And therefore, in quantum, you know, was it quite enough, or could more have been done? Uh, certainly, you know, that 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 response. Apologies. <clears throat> you know, certainly, certainly that response could have been. Uh, uh, you know more than what it was if the intention was to revive demand but at the same time it was extremely well sequenced uh, very few people will disagree that the priority in which the government acted was extremely well uh, sequenced you know the lockdown of course was the most severe in the world which you know, saw the most severe quarterly impact in that 20 percent plus impact on our quarters uh, you know gdp uh, really that one percent of gdp more than you know, two and a half lakh crores per day was the impact of each day of lockdown, right? One percent of GDP, 2.5 lakh crores for each day of uh, lockdown is what we suffered. Of course, unique in the world. Uh, people will say that you know, no other place shut down manufacturing like we did. Was that right or wrong? Uh, <clears throat> you know, with uh, we have to remember, uh, you know, the state of our healthcare system. Uh, is different to those other countries that you uh, that you make comparisons with. Um, uh, say, you know, uh, I'd like to add yeah. also two uh, two points. And you know, and and you and I have been meeting every couple of months in the CII staff, and you know, we've been taking a, you know, uh, looking at these polls and bringing all this data. Oh, but even before COVID, India was sort of going down this entire slowdown path. Uh, you know, if you look at you know Jan, Feb, and all, every, everybody was talking about the Indian slowdown, the need for reform, the recovery, and then, bam, we hit into COVID, and and the, and the second part of the ref 
um, of the COVID response was pretty much everybody was told take on more debt, take on more debt. You know, uh, other countries had uh, you know cash injections into businesses. They had grants that were given. Uh, countries like the UK, Malta, and all picked up uh, uh, the entire payroll bill uh, of their uh, of, of of all the companies. And India was very much said, guys. Uh, take on more debt. Now, uh, here is a bunch of loans. We'll give you more credit access. Um, and, and, you know, as you're going through this, would love to get that perspective also, because, you know, I'm, you know, my brain is still stuck on that figure, which you started out on, right? You know, that the 10x number of SMEs, which will probably shut down a million, million and a half. Uh, and it's going to take a while for them to sort of come in. And this was on top of already a slowdown happening. And I think the context is important for our uh, our viewers and our uh, and our listeners. It's not like we were the U.S., which was in an absolute boom, right? Jan, uh, Jan, Feb, uh, you know, job ratings absolutely low, almost achieving full employment, and then COVID hits. India was stressed, and then COVID hit. Yes, yes. No, I think I think that's a very good point. I think absolutely, you know, our economic growth. If you look at the you know last quarter of uh, <clears throat> FY20, which is the March quarter, we were already down to sub four percent growth. You know, for the year to March 20, we were already you know four and a half, four point six odd percent growth is what we had in that year. So we were you know significantly off the you know eight percent kind of growth uh, of 2010, or you know even the six and a half, seven percent that you know we would consider reasonable. Uh, all expected in the post GST era, right? Everybody expected GST to add one and a half, two percent to our uh, to our GDP growth, right? Where is that one and a half, two percent? People would ask. Uh, so absolutely, I think the, the thing we have to remember is, you know, we will have to grow at at least uh, you know eight percent year on year if we want to get to uh, our five trillion economy, right? Seven eight percent is what we need to go to to get to a five trillion economy and that is by 2030 you know that is not by 2025 as the government's targeting that's what you know we get to if we grow at seven eight percent so i think you know uh, coming to your other question on the number of msmes that uh, uh, you know have shut down in india permanently many of them you know in food and beverage and uh, uh, you know aviation hospitality tourism um, and just you know for uh, you know across across board the big challenge, not just in MSMEs, even through the big companies, is unemployment. Right? More than five million people have gone out of the labor system permanently because of a decline in you know wages and you know a decline in opportunity. Five million people aren't coming back, you know, into the uh, <clears throat> into the system. So I think uh, uh, you know dealing with that unemployment will be a significant significant challenge up ahead, and the. You know, big positive from COVID is going to be digitization, but that digitization is only going to compound that unemployment trend that everybody is very familiar with, right? How do we solve that problem? I don't have an answer, but that, you know, industry has to sit together and find an answer to that problem. Um, and I think, you know, eventually social security, how center and state work together to provide adequate social security, like we've done with our, you know, amazing healthcare scheme, um, is you know, an answer where you have to take care of the bottom of the pyramid, like we did with our first response. Uh, you know, from this, from this pandemic. Um, I think um, the other, the other risk just there, 
uh, when I touched on unemployment, let me also touch on inflation. You know, uh, Nikhil Soni asked me the same question. See, I know the region you remember. You know, what's going to be the impact on inflation with all this liquidity coming in in India as well as in other markets? Does the world economy have you know have the risk uh, of you know significant inflation spike of us going back to the you know sort of 80s? When even you know the developed Western market economy had inflation, of course you know, the Economist covered the entire you know significant cover story on that in the last issue, and I recommend you you know look at that if you want you know the detailed statistics on that. But I'd say you know the you know difference um, if you look at it to the last crisis again the global financial crisis. What I go back to that financial crisis was one about you know a credit crunch, and therefore whatever the whatever stimulus was put in. Uh, into the economy in Western markets uh, and other markets, that went into basically you know fill up the gap from that credit crunch. The situation now is quite different. You know the uh, this is about uh, you know the stimulus that has gone in has taken money supply in the system back to the 1980s level already, right? And therefore the risks for sustained inflation in the you know medium term are high. Um, at the same time, there is widespread, uh, you know, appreciation amongst the economists that the link between money supply, you know, when you lower interest rates, money supply goes up, um, and prices is not, you know, one for one as as was expected in the past. It, it, you know, it's much weaker because it's driven by two other factors, and those two factors mainly are, you know, around one, the expectations of consumers on increases in prices in the future. So consumers are expecting prices will increase rapidly, they would buy, right? Versus wait for prices to increase and then have to buy. Uh, the second is the strength of the labor markets, you know, the uh, you know, employment. If people don't have a job, they aren't going to buy. And therefore, I think uh, you know, while some of the risks are there because of where money supply is, I, I don't see you know us seeing runaway inflation in India or elsewhere into the future. You know, in India, you know, we've seen uh, uh, in the month of October and September, inflation in the seven percent, I think seven point two and seven point six, in uh, 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 you know October and September, it's okay. in November is 2.8 uh, percent on inflation. So we can we come back to that. the inflation numbers. I mean, so uh, here's here's an alternative take, right? You know. Um, the RBI refused to cut rates, saying they're worried about inflation. And by the way, everyone, that's one of the big reasons why we are talking about inflation. It's not an academic interest, but you know, if the RBI doesn't cut rates, loans are still expensive, and India is one of the uh, still, uh, I think, right now, perhaps in in, in all so-called developed or developing countries, it's still the highest rates of uh, of lending and borrowing in the world. I mean, you could pretty much get money for free in almost all. OECD top countries. India is still very much, you know, in the. I mean, it's it's it's, it's stuck in the double digits. You know, 11, 12, 13, 15 percent, right? When it finally hits, uh, and a, a, a business person on the ground, or if someone's taking a personal loan, and and for me, one of the uh, things which I keep uh, pushing, and this is something that we see in all businesses, is that fundamental economic assumption, right? That you know, RBI or or the government does quantitative easing, uh, you know, helicopter money in, uh, pushing it in, or they bring down rates. And there's this beautiful levering system where the rate goes to the banks, the banks give it to the companies, the companies give it to consumers, and, you know, everything starts to rise and you have inflation. 
But in India, that never happens, right? Because everything is broken. From so, so even if the RBI is bringing down its rates, uh, you know, it could be years before it actually hits the ground, right? So you know, unlike uh, unlike more efficient economies, let's be polite about it. Uh, you know, where where a change at the rate at the top or this, you suddenly see dramatic impact within two to three months on the ground. India has always had that large policy lag. And so why why are we why is still this mental model of inflation still haunting industry today? Well, I think uh, it's, I think you said two or three things. So first of all, you know, the prime lending rate of the you know, top five banks, uh, public sector banks, is closer to eight, you know nine percent, eight point eight percent. Prime, prime. Uh, but, but I think between the banks and the consumer, there's often also an NBFC, right, uh, where the rates may be closer to the you know uh, double digit. Uh, you know, that you talked about. You talked about you know the rate transmission and the uh, you know lag between the transmission from you know cutting the repo rate to what gets transmitted to the down you know, to inflation, the right? Because you know uh, the the repo rate cuts, then the banks have to announce the bank transmit. Uh, which yeah. banks going to renegotiate loans? Yeah. You know, it, it's a long. Yeah, so I can't disagree with that part. I think you talked about the inflation. Uh, and inflation targeting and that I think the MPC of the RBI which actually looks at uh, you know taking that decision you know now the decision is not taken by the governor it's taken by the monetary policy committee uh, which is a you know, selection of individuals who sit on that uh, you know the guidance there is that you know four percent targeting you know infl- inflation targeting of four percent plus minus two percent right so we work on a you know two percent to six percent bang on uh, you know retail inflation CPI, uh, yes, we are slightly higher than that, and therefore you can expect a prolonged pause on any further rate cuts from this 400. How do you degrow or deconstruct economy by five percent and ten percent and still get inflation? Yeah, I, so I think you know again, I, as I said, you know, rates have come down 115 basis points. I think the issue actually <clears throat> is more complex than just rates. Uh, no, absolutely. Uh, has to take off. You know, capacities are still at you know 70 odd percent in industry overall. Uh, you know, perhaps auto is an outlier, but beyond auto, I don't know too many others who are seeing the demand uh, <clears throat> or the you know fall in inventories. That's going to see new investments uh, in other uh, you know manufacturing. So one's hoping that you know some of these steps on identifying the priority sectors, you know, going after the China plus one opportunity. Uh, you know that has emerged. You know from the relocating supply chains, the production-linked incentives that have been announced. You know by the government, people will make use of that and you know start investing. But I think the challenge there, as I said, is beyond just rates. You know, uh, the, the challenge really is you know demand revival. That's what we will need uh, in order for you know the economic growth to go back to the uh, you know uh, to even six percent from uh, where we were pre-pandemic. If we were to take you know, the pandemic out. Of course, we need, we need to get up to 8% uh, to live up to our potential as a country. So I think, let me let me just finish my my comments and I can you know, go to the slides and take you through some data because people will be crying, you know, from an accountant, you know, how much can we hear? Please also show us some numbers and I'll show you the numbers. I, I, I think really, you know, in summarizing, you know, the, <clears throat> you know, getting the vaccine in this seven, eight month period is the biggest upside we've seen in this pandemic. Uh, I heard from Mr. Kotak for the first time, uh, I don't know who the author is, but I heard the terms geography is history. I think that's the second biggest upside from this pandemic. Geography is history, right? Basically, 
uh, you know, once we see an impact on commercial real estate in the short to medium term, the real opportunity for India lies in trying to move the $200,000, $300,000 jobs to India in the next three to five years when you come to services. We're talking about manufacturing, but if you look at services, not just the you know, $50,000 jobs, but that's what we were earlier replacing in India. That's what will also create uh, you know, further jobs. You know, the moment you move those managerial and you know more complex jobs to India in the future, as people realize you you know you don't if you have people, you know you don't need to have people in the same office in the same city in even the same country. Uh, that trend is expediting. I think you know this new world order is a huge positive for India. Uh, you know the dependence on China and therefore you know big companies clearly looking at the China plus one strategy. And we're seeing investments there, right? Samsung. Samsung's big announcement everybody will have seen uh, last week. Uh, I'll show you the FDI data, which will you know, revalidate that uh, for everyone. Of course, everybody knows 20 billion of that 30 billion FDI we've got since April as one of the one one business house. Uh, <clears throat> I think we need to. Uh, uh, you know, the world has become more aware of how to deal with China. Uh, you know, China plays with its own rules and doesn't play with the rules of the game. I think that is a positive for for India. Um, and you know, really, from this pandemic, we have to take, you know, sit down collectively between the country and the states, and between countries around the world, and build that playbook. Learn from that, you know, vaccine development, still, you know, the supply of drugs around the world, and build that playbook on how we deal with future calamities. Uh, and of course, the single biggest transformation, that single biggest transformation, is that digital transformation, Anita. Uh, you know, we've uh, you know seen that transformation in personally, right? Everywhere. If you look at payments, if you look at you know, uh, I mean, pretty much using a card everywhere uh, <clears throat> now versus, uh, and it's not just you know in paying for things. It is literally you know, signing into things. Uh, you know, paper money's you know disappearing. But we also see that in the business sector. You know how even mid-sized companies are now actively considering you know creating virtual shared service centers. We, you know, then going into digitization of processes and adopting, you know, things like robotic process automation, you know, things like just basic, uh, uh, you know, not just scanning documents, but basic OCR, you know, uh, optical character recognition on their customer invoices and supplier invoices, so that those things can be automated. Right? You can just read those. Those go hit an Excel sheet, and you know, eventually hit your financial system. Um, and and record things and and humans uh, you know uh, sort of human then goes in and glances at it. Of course, the downside in all that is it is going to replace uh, replace people. Uh, we, and this is going to be you know middle management is is where it's going to impact impact the most in the next uh, you know, two to three years. Uh, and therefore, further further uh, extend that challenge of of, of unemployment. So, yeah, should we just quickly you know jump onto some of the slides? Uh, yeah, no, great, fantastic. I, I, I think let's get those numbers, and I think that at least give us a little bit more context. Yeah, so this is basically the IMF's uh, you know forecast for the world GDP growth, so the global GDP growth. Uh, the IMF has revised that global GDP growth forecast. It was you know projecting that five percent contraction that I talked about, you know four point nine percent in twenty twenty. It's now revised that to you know four point four percent. In FY20, and next year, you know, as I said, is expecting that you know we will recover. So therefore, <clears throat> you know, next year the recovery, if you see in that you know, uh, teal color on top, is 5.2% in uh, 2021. 
uh, I think the important thing there is that, that that is why I call this the lost two years, right? I, what whatever recovers next year will take us back to the position, and that's no different even with India. Even though the RBI is now forecasting, you know, the total contraction in FY20, uh, FY21 to be only seven and a half percent. You know, IMF, uh, IMF's October projection was this minor 10, minus 10.3 percent. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's going to be somewhere in that in that range. And it doesn't really matter if it's minus 7.5 or minus 10, the, at least in my view. I think what matters is next year the projected change from that is plus 8, right? We therefore go back in March 2022 to the level we were at in March 2020, right? That is the size of economy we will have back then, right? The same 2.7 trillion economy is what we will have. And therefore, uh, you know, obviously, I call this you know, the lost. Uh, Two years, you can see how uh, you know the IMF, which releases its forecast every you know, three odd months, how consistently the forecast for 2020 and 21 uh, has changed for India. Uh, you know, from you know 1.9 percent growth in April 2020 when they forecast to 4.5 percent minus in June to 10.3 percent in October when they come up with the next forecast in Jan. Uh, I would expect somewhere around eight, eight and a half percent is where IMF will probably save the contract in 2020. Next slide, please. So, uh, so uh, uh, can we just go back to that one because you know, for those who don't have access to the slides, um, there, there are two very interesting figures that I, I want you to hear. One, of course, is so, uh, so what uh, Vishesh was talking about was uh, IMF does a quarterly update on what they think the how will the year end up as. And you know they they started off in October 2019 saying it'd be 7%. Then in Jan 2020 they said 5.8. In April 2020 it went to 1.9. By June it was minus 4.5, and by October they were saying minus 10.3. Um, if you look at the uh, there's another figure there. China, for example, is supposed to go up by 1.9, and I think that shows you a huge difference on how China is at least. In, a, in from a perception perspective, has been able to bounce back during this pandemic. You know, India t uh, minus 10.3. Uh, you have emerging and development markets in Asia minus 1.7. Euro area at minus 8.3. US at minus 4.3. World at minus 4.4. With India at minus 10.3, I think the IMF is really, really pessimistic uh, about that outlook. It's, it's, it's a huge difference, right? Yeah, I think it's the same thing. You know, the, what I talked about, you know, the, the most stringent lockdown uh, anywhere in the world, and therefore the most, uh, you know, the sort of, sort of biggest biggest impact. I think we're competing with the UK for that, you know, uh, impact in that June quarter, right? The uh, April to June quarter. I think India and the UK were the two countries that had that, you know, twenty percent dip in quarterly quarterly GDP uh, for you know, somewhat different reasons, but. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you can compare that with, say, Sweden, which hardly had any any lockdown, right? They chose a different, yeah, uh, a different uh, approach. Of course, they you know paid for that with the number of deaths. They didn't do any lockdown, and you know, Sweden had seven thousand deaths compared to their neighbours, which had some hundreds. Right? Norway and Finland and others had in the two three hundred uh, deaths compared to compared to Sweden. So I'm not doubting that you know, we needed to do a lockdown. 
uh, that lockdown needed to be harsh. And as I said, if we're you seeing the impact. Actually, we're seeing yeah, the impact. One percent of GDP per day. You can see, you know, we had, you know, the, the sort of lockdown compared to where where where, where we would have where we would have been. Um, I think if you look at the quarterly change in GDP in a shorter period, you know, that was ten years. This is just quarter on quarter. What's been the change? This again shows that slowdown you were referring to earlier. Uh, we had a 6.2% in quarter 2 of 2018, right, FY18, quarter 2, so that is 2017, you know, the uh, Ju- uh, July to September quarter, right, July to September of 2017, we had 6.2, 5.6 the next quarter, 5.7, 5.2, 4.4, 4.1, 3.1 in the quarter 4 of 2019, right, quarter 4 of 2019, of course, we had one one week, 10 days of pandemic impact. Uh, <clears throat> uh, sorry, this should have said to, uh, FY20. My apologies. Uh, so, quarter four of FY20 was 3.1%, right? Uh, which is the Jan to March quarter. And then, if you look at FY21, usually that is FY21, you know, the 23.9% in that April to June quarter because of the lockdown, the 20 plus percent I talked about. And then, quarter two, you know, 7.5% uh, decline still. So, recovering economy, but not quite. Of course, what you can see there is how manufacturing has recovered. Uh, you know, the IIP data, again, industrial production uh, had this unexpected rise in, you know, the month of September. Everybody was expecting a de- decline. Uh, we had, of course, declines in each month before that, significant declines, uh, you know, from, you know, 57% decline in April to only a 7.5% decline in August, but you can see in the month of September, we saw an increase in the index of industrial production. The other, you know, good one was, uh, you know, good news was this, uh, you know, eight-year high that our PMI, both composite PMI as well as manufacturing and services PMI within that, uh, you know, where it, where it reached in the month of October. PMI is basically the purchase manager's index, and I'll, you know, I'm just saying this so that everybody's aware uh, basically more than 50 means an expansion less than 50 means a contraction in uh, PMI basically the you know people ask purchasing managers in companies uh, you know are you going to place orders or not right in manufacturing companies and service companies and that's how that's how this is measured and if you, if you see the months of um, uh, you know September October November you can see an expansion in the composite PMI uh, of 54, 58, and 56, right? So uh, you know a little bit of festive demand. Uh, uh, you can see in the month, you know, in the orders placed in October for you know the festive season in November. But uh, uh, you know, overall, you can definitely see a recovery in orders, and that plays out both in manufacturing and services when you drill down and look at you know the PMI for those two separately versus you know, at a composite level. Uh, I'll very briefly, you know, touch on trade um, <clears throat> and really, you know, the news there uh, on uh, trade is, uh, you know, imports have continued to fall at a rate which is, you know, more than exports uh, because of the lack of demand in the economy, uh, which has led to, you know, an overall trade uh, surplus, merchandise trade deficit, but overall trade surplus in that, you know, April to November period uh, that we can see uh, one uh, you know expects uh, some of this some of this to reverse 
because imports will uh, uh, you know again rise in the future as the demand picks up in the economy and as we see you know that that revival but you could see obviously uh, you know the impact on exports and imports in the future. so uh, uh, you know just so that we can get all of our listeners in so we are saying april to november on uh, on merchandise the exports were you know but 173.66 billion imports were 215.67 still a trade uh, deficit services of course we exported more 130 billion and uh, imported 74.98 billion so we have a surplus so an overall uh, uh, surplus but i i i imagine that a lot of the imports you were talking about in merchandise is, is basically oil right that's one of the biggest drivers yeah basically non oil and non gold imports which basically show the strength of domestic demand that shrank 1.67% in the month of november right when you compare to november the year before so so if you if you strip out oil you strip out gold uh, you know which really shows you the you know, strength of domestic demand even that you know, was 1.67% lower uh, if you were to look at just the weather data, which to me is a fantastic number, right? Because you know everybody's been buying gold. Uh, I I would presume <laughs> as 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 a safety thing uh, during COVID because of just you know they're worried about the financial markets. Although the stock market has been going up, uh, and you know oil, you know after the initial lockdown, you know would slowly start coming back as we have manufacturing, transport, everything started to open up. So, but but the real picture is seeing is an actual uh, actual contraction of of uh, of of our domestic consumption. So, so yeah, let's let's let, let's move forward, and you'll get you know a better picture of some of this. Uh, <clears throat> so I talked about in, you know the impact on inflation, you know, and uh, uh, retail inflation. If you see um, on the next slide, uh, <clears throat> you know the RBI has that reference range of two point six, you know, two to six percent. I talked about. Uh, you know, luckily in November it eased to 6.93%. As you can see on the slide, after you know, the months before that, uh, two straight months it was above 7%. It's obviously beyond the target, which basically means uh, if, you get, yeah, if you could get the other graph also, uh, <clears throat> you know, the central bank will therefore have to hold uh, you know rates. Uh, we expect that to be a long, long pause. Uh, you know, those rates I talked about earlier, you can see already slashed from 5.15% in January 20 to 4%. So 515 basis points, 400 basis points, 115 basis point cut in the uh, you know repo rate uh, that you uh, that we already saw. I think uh, <clears throat> you know basically uh, you know it's likely to remain. Uh, inflation is likely to remain elevated as manufacturers and service providers are expected to jack up prices as they see you know pick up in consumer demand. Uh, you can see the you know consumer spending uh, graph on uh, on the charts. Of course, uh, you know as expected, consumer spending came down drastically in uh, you know the quarter two uh, and. You know, so basically, in, you can see the July number and October numbers on the on the slide. I think uh, the consumer spending in India is forecast to have contracted by 12.6 percent in 2020, and it's expected to expand by only 6.6 percent in 2021. Right, a contraction of 12.6 percent in consumer spending in 2020, and an expansion by 6.6 percent in 2021. 
uh, you know, in nominal terms, if you look at it, household spending will increase by only, and this is in nominal terms, by only 1.2%, uh, you know, than what, what it was pre-pandemic last year, right? So therefore, households aren't spending anything more than what, what was being spent earlier. I think, uh, you know, if we look at, uh, <clears throat> you know, the credit, and I talked about, uh, you know, the lack of growth in credit, and this is the non-food credit growth, uh, which has you know, now slipped to under 6% in, uh, you know, August and September, and closer to 5% during, you know, the period thereafter. Uh, and that compares to more than 8% is where, you know, credit growth was earlier and I think you know basically that is driven by a contraction to large industries it is not uh, that medium-sized industries uh, are seeing a decline in credit to them large industries have seen a contraction uh, of 1.7 percent in October compared to a growth if you compare with October last year medium-sized industries have seen an expansion a double-digit expansion actually of 16.7 percent in uh, in October in uh, you know credit growth compared to uh, earlier and again you know if you look at personal loans have declined uh, in that period personal you know personal loan growth decelerated uh, you know to 9.3% as compared to 17.2% in uh, october of last year i'm comparing october 2020 to october 2019 and the exception there again is auto uh, personal loans for you know, buying buying vehicles uh, which actually saw an expansion uh, which you know, uh, all of us read about regularly the increase in vehicles if you could just uh, bring the rest of the graphs on uh, there then you can see you know, the sale of passenger vehicles uh, increasing on the graphs in front of you from uh, you know what was of course a contraction in the months uh, immediately post the lockdown uh, you know, uh, to an expansion uh, of course you know, slowing expansion thereafter but definitely you know that is the message from uh, you know all the auto uh, sector players. Well, Nikesh, um, just paused here, right? And again, so people who can't see the graph, uh, what we are seeing is total domestic sales of, of passenger vehicles increasing. But I'm seeing October 19 to Feb uh, 2020, minus 12.2, 12.8, minus 13.1, minus 9.911. Then we tank during COVID, you know, minus 5,500, 89, minus 64, minus 16.1. And now we're seeing recoveries, 9.5, 23.8, 10.8. What do you make of this uh, this this period between October and Feb when we already had this decline happening? Yeah, so you know, the auto sector, we talked about the declining economy. Everybody knows the auto sector was in a steep decline way before you know the uh, you know, rest of the economy itself. So therefore, the auto sector is probably going back. You know, where people ask the question, not when will we go back to the uh, you know, previous year numbers is actually you know the you know two years ago numbers, uh, and uh, you know it's, it's basically the basic. I think it's also it's very important context, right? Because because you know one is that oh it's so bad that they haven't recovered, but if you had twenty three point nine ten point eight, even if it's just you know pent up demand, uh, the fact that we are still seeing upswings is fantastic. Yes, but those upswings are still you know getting the industry back to to normal. <clears throat> Yeah. levels two years ago that's what people are hoping for uh, at the same time you know from a corporate's perspective most corporates have used the pandemic 
to you know reduce uh, staff to reduce overheads to reduce you know what they pay for those things uh, even on a continuing basis so therefore corporate balance sheets will look healthier corporate pnls will show better performance in the next uh, couple of years which is what you know what you're seeing in the markets and i come to the markets uh, uh <clears throat> and before we come to the markets you know obviously uh, people want to know you know what's happening with uh, you know the rupee and you know, the rupee's really gained in value in the months you know following the lockdown uh, main reasons you know weak american currency largely because of that political uncertainty uh, in that country uh, also uh, you know fpis you know pumping in money recognizing that economic opportunity differential that our economy you know provides once you know corporates make use of you know the opportunity provided by the pandemic to you know clean up their uh, you know cost structures they can you know obviously you know expect to see uh, you know that performance upside going forward uh, oil prices direct impact on uh, you know our currency just because of you know how much of our oil 80 plus percent we import um it you know, oil prices have recovered you know obviously a miss you know, the main reason for that is hopes of this vaccine and therefore that demand uh, revival uh, you know both brent and that uh, wti west texas uh, intermediate which uh, uh, in an unprecedented manner went into a negative territory you could make money by buying uh, oil back uh, you know towards the pandemic because of storage capacity issues that's you know rallied now for six consecutive weeks uh, the longest stretch of that rally uh, since june uh, crude oil is also up and of course again the reason for that is that demand recovery as well as continuation of you know, the opec plus countries uh, cutting production uh, in oil price you know in my opinion and whatever i've you know seen so far you can expect it to remain volatile uh, in the near in the near term and therefore you know you can also expect in some ways uh, you know volatility uh, and actually an increase in the retail price of uh, diesel and petrol in uh, in our country uh, next slide please i think um, if we you know unemployment i touched on this um, a fair bit earlier uh, and therefore i'm not going to you know, go into the numbers now but basically if you look at the latest month uh data a further 3.5 million people workers are now out of the workforce uh <clears throat> you know in the month of november uh, around 5 million i talked about earlier uh you know potentially out of the workforce permanently uh and therefore you know the sustained loss of jobs and the failing wage rates are the main drivers you know for that according to you know, cmie that you know does this research um you know with a 20 you know, overall 22.5 million people who are inactive uh, and unemployed uh, in the month of november almost twice that uh, you know previously so i i don't want to go to those numbers further but you can see the unemployment graph rise and i can't see this change dramatically uh, because i can't see industry or services in the near term hiring people uh, they would make replacement hires uh, but the rest will be filled with automation and 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 those sort of things and therefore you know it's only new capacity uh coming in uh that will you know create create new jobs uh next slide please and i think uh, we are now nearing the uh end and i, I think basically the fdi uh graph i talked about uh, uh of course if you look at the fdi uh <clears throat> you know in the 
post pandemic months uh, during the month of june uh, uh, you know april may june fdi went to a trickle but if you look at you know the post pandemic months you know august september uh, uh, you know significant fdi 17.8 billion dollars of fdi only in the month of august you can see that huge skyscraper uh, and that huge skyscraper is coming from the likes of facebook um, and the multiple funds as i talked about the 20 billion that's gone into one uh, you know platform the reliance uh, you know uh, digital and retail you know sort of platform uh, in the country overall an increase of 15% in fdi if we look at the six months from april to september 2020 to 30 billion dollars uh, i remember there were some years ago when rfdi used to be you know uh, 3 billion 5 billion and we used to look at the china numbers of you know uh, 40 billion 50 billion we used to wonder if it will ever you know go back and i think uh, you know we are now in that in that period so uh, yes, so so, so here's uh, here's one thing which uh, we've all been sort of we waiting for right you had uh trillions and trillions of dollars being poured into quantitative easing i mean from w- w- what i re- remember i mean the us uh has put more stimulus than than the entire financial crisis stimulate you know combined plus all the war spending a sector for 10 years and they just pushed it out in one go right it was an absolute flood of money in the us flood of money in the uk a uh, flood of money all across europe japan everywhere else Uh, apart from of course one or two mega deals that india saw uh, how much of this money is coming to india are we seeing that sort of that okay you know you know and it was string free money for the most part right so at some point it it has to go find something and india has always positioned itself as you know hey you want more than 3 to 5% uh, you have to look at it you have to look at india and you have to look at emerging markets are we seeing that money come in yet So we're seeing money both in the FPIs, you know, into the markets. That's why you know the stock markets. Uh, I think that's the next slide. Are where they are. I think if you could just go to the next slide, uh, <clears throat> and we're seeing, of course, through the foreign direct investment coming to India, thirty billion dollars, uh, which is what is you know, uh, you know, giving that strength to our to our currency. Um, as we are, as we see, this is basically you can see on the slide from the pandemic lows, the steep curve. that our stock markets have taken not just to pre pandemic levels but you know uh, lifetime highs uh, you know both the major stock stock exchange indices the sensex and the nifty uh, sensex the nifty 50 and uh, you know uh, well above pre pandemic highs uh, and that's when domestic market investors have taken money out of the of the markets right uh, uh, at least retail investors next slide please So what 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 do you say? So 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 would a would a theory, and this is just a theory, be that look we have all this money sort of pouring in around the world. Some portion of that money came into India, and obviously they are waiting to let's say deploy it into whatever PVC funds. But meanwhile, they seem to have parked it in the stock market, and that's why we are seeing this crazy boost. I mean, it's difficult to difficult to. Uh, difficult to make that glory at least you know I, i am not able to you know make that direct uh, <clears throat> you know relationship that the you know money that's coming into india is because of the excess liquidity you know that you know that is pumped in into the western systems um, <clears throat> i think it's really you know uh, money chases opportunity and you know if you look at the long term prospects of the economy uh, like i we only talked about prospects of next year 
the last two years take us back to where we were but after that we're still seeing a change from march 22 till march 2030 even on a worst case forecast a doubling right from the 2.7 trillion to you know 5 trillion where else in the world are you going to see a doubling of your <clears throat> of your money the, you know the euro area isn't you know isn't delivering that uh, japan isn't delivering that the uk isn't delivering that uh, the us you know certainly isn't delivering that so you know where else would you would you see that sort of uh, return i think you know and we will get to that 5 trillion um, uh, and that's presuming <clears throat> the currency remains in the same place right if the rupee goes to 38 to the dollar we get to 10 trillion which is where you know uh, which is where the government wanted to be Right. So the, uh, so no, absolutely. You know, I, I think I think that's I think that's a point well made. I think no one's arguing that India uh, won't get to uh, get to that five trillion. And right now, it's just. I think why the next slide? You know, if you go to the next slide, I'll, I'll show you why, Aditya. Um, I think we'll be running out of time. So you know, again, you know, I like looking at things over a long-term period versus you know short-term data, particularly in a post-pandemic world. Short-term data isn't that relevant. This is really, if you see this chart. Uh, in front of you, this is the ease of doing business rankings in India, and how those rankings have changed overall from 134 in 2015 to 63 in 2020. I touched on this earlier, and it's color coded to show you that transition from the high numbers, right, the 134, 150s in the world, towards the greens, you know, the yellows, and then the greens. Can you see that transition in that period? Uh, you know that foundation that is being laid, and if you see within that, these are the ten elements that go into the world, you know, the World Bank's ease of doing business ranking. The overall 134, which you know, last year was 63 in the world, and the government expects you know that to be uh, in the top 30 uh, in the in the next couple of years. I, I don't think anyone had the confidence that we could even aspire for top 30 in you know 2014, 2015, right? Uh, now it looks realistic to be in the top 30 in um, in ease of doing business. So therefore, you know, let's not uh, you know take for granted um, or uh, you know not appreciate you know the amount of uh, pain that a lot of people have suffered to make this make this transition. Uh, you know that transition on getting electricity. If you look at it from 137 in the world to 22 in the world, right? That 175. And those are some bad. Those are some big jumps there. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about 2022, right? Massive. Massive Even trade. I mean, going from you know uh, things got worse. <laughs> like we actually lost down to 146, and then dramatic jump to 68, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, which one are you talking about? Oh, the uh, yeah, trading across borders. Yeah, borders, exactly. right? Huge jump. Yeah, and that, that's just, that's just the beginning. I think we still have challenges. We've got to fix our logistics, but obviously, you know, GST coming in has reduced. You know the time it takes to hit the borders, uh, <clears throat> or to you know move goods. So that's why you've seen that move from 126 on trading across borders in 2015 to 68. You've seen that move in dealing with construction permits. You know in the post Rera uh, Rera uh, era, uh, <clears throat> in the post Rera era, uh, you know dealing with construction permits. 184 in the world in 2015 to 27 in the world in 2020. Dealing with construction permits, so already in the top 30. If you look at you know uh, other aspects, we were pretty good anyway. You know, getting credit, protecting minority investors, we were you know already very high. And I wouldn't you know make too much of that downward move 
you know from 7 to 13 seven introductory minority investors to 13 in uh, in 2020 i think you know big work big work remains to be done in uh, enforcing contracts i've always maintained you know if india has to transform we will fix our legal system reduce the time it takes you know to resolve disputes uh, in our country and we're seeing that uh, you know in terms of you know arbitrations that are fleeing towards you know singapore and other uh, arbitration centers but also the government's recognized that and is trying to you know create uh, better dispute resolution uh, you know processes within 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 the country some of the big business houses as you know have gotten together to you know, create a, a dispute resolution facility also Uh, but i think that you know enforcing contracts is what uh, is the single biggest opportunity that will see a transformation of india 186 in 2015 but still 163 in uh, 2020 uh, of course resolving insolvency seen that massive change uh, 137 in 2015 to 52 i think we will see a further change uh, on that as we learn from ibc and uh, you know further simplify Uh, and we'll stick to that 180 day timeline under IBC. So that's really the last slide I have with data. Yeah, I think this is a great slide to end on. And and you know, uh, just for all of our, uh, you know all of our viewers, we 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 are not going to get a 2021 ranking. The World Bank has uh, unfortunately shelved rankings for a year while it sorts through some internal issues on this. but uh, but you know these are big things and this is by the way not included and and, and this is a great time to uh, transition we have still about i think 15 20 minutes left on uh, on time uh, these do not include the reforms that have happened in the last 3 to 4 months correct absolutely so this is you know last year's ranking and you're right yeah i speak to mr junaid about the country director of the world bank uh, <clears throat> they, they are going to take a pause to just be look at the methodology and stuff but they're very committed to uh, to this you know survey um and again very pleased at what they've seen uh, you know how india has adopted the survey and you know uh, you know actually not just adopted as as a country you know overall vision and target of being in the top 15 and in the top 30 but pass that on on to states because so much of doing business in india is about doing business in states right it's not just uh, And 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 this ranking is basically Mumbai, Maharashtra. So you know, uh, obviously, uh, you know, a pinch of salt there. But you know, India's a vast country. There are states who are doing much better. So you know, so so so, so the World Bank uses a, a simulated business in uh, in Bombay, Mumbai, uh, to come up with these figures. Uh, but like I said, there are states who are who are actually much much better at this. Yeah, it is. It is both Mumbai and Delhi. Aditya, but yeah, you know, India is bigger than just Mumbai and Delhi. This is the, this ranking is restricted to their methodology. You know, in uh, you know those two places, so the city of Mumbai and the city of Delhi, if you were doing businessing, not necessarily all of India. Uh, but not think, uh, not uh, Tamil Nadu or Gujarat or Telangana, right? Yeah, I would not get fixated on the you know individual uh, you know accuracy of a you know particular number. I think the <laughs> that's why there are those colors unfortunately people who are listening in can't see the colors but you know if i can just paint a picture you can just imagine you know uh, sort of sunrise uh, you know bright orange reds on you know in 2015 is is where we were and now we are at you know sort of absolute you know near greens uh, towards 2020 in terms of you know the trend how 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 things have evolved i'm glad we are transitioning to these because the number one question that has come up about four five questions so far have been you know what are the big reforms that that you think are going to really move the needle 
yeah so this is you know obviously the single you know biggest one of those that is coming up in the future i talked about some of the reforms in the past you know the, i mean let's not forget you know gst still has to play out ibc still has to play out rera still has to play out uh, <clears throat> i touched on all those but you know going forward uh, you know some of the things uh, uh, you know one of the big ones is how these 29 you know labor laws are coming in about my colleague vikas vasal and uh, sachin sharma also who can you know add more on these aspects but really uh, you know uh, vikas before you come in uh, just you know 29 labor laws in the country getting compressed into four is just uh, you know uh, transformational uh, yes there will be some challenges around social security uh, for example you know basic salary needs to be at least 50% that will have an impact on gratuity that will have an impact on reducing the you know take home pay available to employees is yet to be legislated previous like this but uh, uh i really feel uh, uh you know this will be a game changing reform uh, going forward so i think i, I think which is uh, uh the big question on this is you know how game changing i was actually uh in a meeting with the minister of state uh this morning uh with one of the chambers and and we were talking about some uh, some of the side effects you know at one big concern i think industry always has um one we are all begging for reform and and the fact that the government has taken uh, uh the leadership in even addressing this is phenomenal i mean to even attempt to do this is a huge 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 political jump here but uh the big worry is that you know so was gst right and and the implementation left a lot to be desired it, it it took a couple of years to even settle down and we are still you know dealing with the side effects of a law that had to be implemented in imperfectly because of you know india being india uh as you know obviously they are still changing this as it goes through but do you see um you know is there a prediction of impact uh, are we seeing hiring will go up by x do you see uh, you know a growth impact per gdp by y or it's still very much going to be left until uh, the implementation happens well, again the same thing i you know I've, i've never understood how people make these predictions of you know gst is going to increase the gdp by at least a percent or one and a half percent so you know are you basically saying without that our gdp growth is now at 2.5% you know significantly under inflation i i don't know how people make these predictions but uh, and i would not hesitate that i think the good news is we are moving towards being that one nation right uh, towards more harmony and you know aligned legislation which will ease the burden on the uh, you know legislative on the uh, judicial system uh, you know within the within the country also right to ease disputes make it all uh, electronic you know going forward and simple uh, legislation that's uh, already begun to happen in so many areas right uh, <clears throat> yes you know there's still a federated system and that's why you have sometimes you know multiple layers uh, but you know you would agree an imperfect gst is better than no gst i think everybody would oh 100% and and, and you know uh, and, and i i think that's what the great uh, uh, sort of uh, trade off is right a lot of these reforms i mean i mean look at the agriculture reforms right uh, you know everybody has been saying we need to do this you know 20 30 years draft after draft committee after committee all political parties have it on their election manifestos uh, and then it happens 
and of course you have a large uh, segment of the country who's now out out uh, protesting obviously in response to that they're going to have to make adjustments but uh, you know i think we'd all take some reform versus no reform right yeah but i think you know we're a democracy i think you know we should uh, you know encourage debate we should you know allow peaceful protests i i you know when protests become you know not peaceful then you know you have to unfortunately act but i think that's that's part of a democracy that's part of this you know transformation that india will see um and we should uh, we should be willing to live with that uh, <clears throat> that is why we are going to see that massive transformation because you want to come in anything you want to comment on you know this uh, proposed change to labor laws and also area of expertise for you personally so uh, thanks uh, vishesh and aditya uh in fact uh, if we have to look at the labor law reforms and we have to sum up in one sentence so that will be the big change in the mindset from the government and the bureaucracy and why do we see why do we say that is primarily because this was one sector which was considered literally untouchable by any government in power but the government has taken a bold step and i am reminded of the transition from fera to fema days and i'm sure all of you would have witnessed that where under fera we used to say that you can't do anything but for these few things whereas under fema we transition that you can do these things but for these things so from uh, industry perspective there are two or three big changes which are going to happen because of this labor law codes once they get notified and fully implemented uh, one is lesser compliances and the form filling exercise large part of the things will be consolidated into these four codes and there will be digitization which will happen over a period of time so that is one second is there will be more freedom for the industry to hire and fire there are uh, there are limits and thresholds like 300 under 300 employees under certain thresholds when those uh, laws get triggered but by and large there is lot of freedom being given to the industry to hire as per their will to decide the number of hours etc so lot of freedom is coming our way uh and last but not the least what is happening is earlier each state used to decide on different things now the bare minimum threshold or the floor price as the word has been coined in these uh, laws that will be decided by the central government states can better it but they cannot go below that so i think more or less the direction will be provided by the centers and states will be guided by that depending on the a requirements of each individual state of course industry will also have to gear up on few points for example there is going to be a big change in the definition of wages so we will have to realign uh, in terms of uh, the payroll structures and others because in certain cases the cost of running a payroll may go up or you will have to restructure so in the interest of time by and large it's a very positive move of course it is very labor friendly in order to get more labor into the formalized sector uh, there are certain big changes on the contract labor side as well as well as some part of the it industry also gets covered so by and large very positive move for a sector which was earlier considered to be untouchable and it should benefit the industry over a longer period of time like we have seen the evolution of gst or fema at large so i would stop here because uh, when do you when do you think we'll start seeing the impacts i you know uh, you know uh, for example you know i'm i'm extremely extremely impressed with the new education policy right but yeah. you know, i think I, i you know but i think the um 
I think we're slowly coming to terms that it's going to be a while until they pass all the legislations, all the rules come out, everything starts to put in. This obviously is is going to be more of a fast track. Uh, do you have do you, uh, do you have a sense? So uh, expected date for these uh, four courts to be fully notified and implementable is April uh, 2021. Uh, rules should get notified up uh, during that uh, during that period. Uh, but government is likely to give about a year's time for the industry to adjust. Till that, probably the reliance could be on the older provisions, older laws as well. Uh, so we will have a transition period of about a year, and actual results of this should come in about two years' time. Once it gets. Uh, are you seeing your clients, uh, both uh, Vikas and Vishesh, uh, you know, change their hiring plans because of this, or uh, or it's still too early to say? I think it's too early to say at this stage, but definitely most clients are looking at the overall impact that these are going to have, and uh, obviously some part of restructuring is required, as I mentioned on the compensation side as well as in terms of the hiring because contract labour laws are also undergoing a change. I think one more positive feature is that there's a new concept of fixed term employment coming into being, which I think the industry has always asked for. and which is a very popular concept in the western world so you can hire a person for a fixed duration and all those provisions are coming into play now so because so um one more thing on the entire um, you know a labor ro- a reform agenda and and vishesh would love to get your thoughts on this you know uh, i have consistently now been hearing uh, that in one of the side effects of covid-19 for india is going to be a massive rush to outsourcing you know uh, you know now we have smes in the us as well now saying hey you know uh, we are now a lot more comfortable with uh, doing remote work why can't that remote work be done in india i think there's a lot of focus on as you rightly put it at the very beginning huge amount of of heavy lifting in in getting things to be digital obviously you know some of those powerhouses are in india and uh, there was an entire thought that okay if if there is one sector that's going to expand it's going to be services and outsourcing at least for the next 3 to 4 years lots of thoughts happening there uh one uh, do you see the labor laws really making that easier or impacting this or this is do you still feel more going to be felt in the blue collar uh, manufacturing areas No, I think this applies to everybody. Vikas can come in, but I think, as Vikas said, you know, this fixed-term employment is going to be a change. But if you already had fixed-term employees, you will now need to start paying them in gratuity. You know, something that earlier you know, only applied if you employed someone beyond five years, uh, is my understanding. I think uh, you know, the second thing, uh, your basic salary will need to be at least fifty percent of the total package. Very often, you know, we've seen in industry basic salary is lower. 30 35 40% but you have to do the variables and the deductions and all partly yeah. for tax but partly for efficiencies yes. and the taxable incentives also you know one gives so basic goes up again your gratuity liability changes uh, right the you know pf obligation changes so both what the employee takes home uh, as well as what the employer has to contribute to pf changes so that's what companies are doing at this time just reassessing their employment models reassessing the opportunities from the court but also some of these implications so that they have between now and next year and that's what people like Vikas are working with you know companies to help make that transition you know answering your specific question on you know outsourcing again it's difficult to relate i think at an overall le- level 
all these things will be an enabler therefore outsourcing the biggest enabler will be post pandemic how the governments acted on the request of nascom to allow work from home Right. Uh, no, absolutely, and 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 you know, uh, there's a lot of stuff around safe hey, on on safe harbor laws for for captives and 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 poem and all, and a lot of those are still pending. Yeah, well, it's more the Department of Telecom stuff where you know where you know now you can you know freely operate from home instead of uh, you know earlier very clearly you couldn't. The, you know, the software park problem, right? You have to be in a physical location to qualify for those incentives. Yes. <laughs> Right. So, so I think you know the post-pandemic world. So it's, it's really work from anywhere, not just you know uh, the ability to send work uh, overseas, but you know for the offshoring companies themselves to work from work from anywhere. So I think all those trends are extremely positive. Uh, please go to the next slide. Right. So I think uh, basically other you know few key changes, and I'll just run through these without going into any amount of detail. Uh, you know, get industry also to be aware of. Uh, we have a big one coming in this. You know, uh, the manufacture, the manufacturing exports for India scheme is going out. It wasn't, you know, WTO compliant and being replaced by road debt. Basically, there are various, you know, duties and taxes that are subsumed within your cost base, which you know even today you do not get input credit for. Uh, and effectively, therefore, the government is saying industry by industry will give a new incentive, which will, uh, you know, hopefully compensate you at least partway. Uh, if not entirely, as that MEIS benefit goes out, the challenge there for industry is, you know, uh, you know those, uh, you know, incentives would literally half uh, for our uh, exporters, and therefore, unless there is a country, you know, currency decline or a significant demand revival, um, it could impact uh, exports. Uh, I think the uh, production-linked incentive scheme initially started with electronics, mobile phones. And now has been expanded to you know over 10 sectors. Auto is possible a significant chunk of that benefit. But I talked about this earlier in my uh, you know opening comments. Really, uh, I, I believe you know uh, Atmanirbhar Bharat. Some of these announcements is what puts the intention behind Make in India. Uh, you know, as people were losing you know hope, you know, is Make in India is only you know theoretical. Make in India is on paper. Ease of doing business is on paper and only restricted to these few, uh, few uh, you know, cities. I think you know, some of that criticism hopefully should go out as the government. Uh, are you seeing the PLI being taken up? Uh, you know, uh, there were mixed signals from you know from those who sort of qualified and come in. They're very happy. A lot of uh, people are feeling left out as well. Uh, you know, you know, devils in the details in the implementation. But uh, but in general, are you seeing a lot of companies being able to successfully? Uh, uh, grab these incentives. I'd like to just bring in Vikas or Sachin Sharma, my colleague here, to you know take that to take that uh, question. Okay. Uh, uh, Vikas, uh, Sachin, is this working? Because uh, you know, some companies, to my knowledge, are saying it's fantastic. They've applied. They've got it. It's really uh, you know changed the way they're working. It's 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 pumping up their margins. They are able to be more competitive against China. Other people are saying that hey, we applied. Uh, and, and you know, uh, there was no way we were going to qualify anyway. So this is again reserved for those, uh, you know, the uh, the few powers that be. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Vishesh Aditya. Uh, with respect to PLA scheme, as of now, as Vishesh has mentioned, only uh, mobile or semiconductor sector was involved uh, for all this benefit. Now, government has included ten more sectors, including automobile, pharma, so and so forth. From 
investment perspective pli scheme is one of the major boost maker for all this manufacturing uh, segment reason being the subsidy which comes uh, from this all these schemes basically boost the further capitalization further investment in that sector it not only just linking or benefit not with respect to the refund or with respect to this scheme but how we can create more uh hiring etc and more to more or how to we can make more skill oriented uh, um, uh labors in india so how to compete in china that's all now if i talk about uh, a few sectors which has been left out like glass and ceramics which are vehemently uh discussing with the government now why not to include that sector because as of now that sector is going with the growth of 50% as of now 21% 21 billion focusing on 26 billion or 30 billion by 2028 so these kind of sectors they are definitely uh, which are left out uh, discussing with the government to be included but uh, yes it is a very welcome step uh, from government of india and that's how many companies as vishesh has mentioned samsung and apple is also focusing on they are increasing their uh, capacity because of all these things yeah so definitely so uh, thanks sachin uh, yeah, yeah so i think in summary uh, uh, you know we working with the glass and ceramics sector you just give you an example to talk about how you know that's sort a of sector could also be you know one of the uh, priority sectors for the future so uh, you know whoever's not currently included uh, you know the government is keen to you know look at any sector that needs that support that can compete for these relocating supply chains can produce jobs uh, in the country and the you know, door is very much open your question around you know have we started seeing uh, you know investment of course we have but you know people are still you know also making plans so in the mobile phone sector which was announced uh, you know perhaps six you know uh, uh, maybe three or four months ago uh, we've seen the maximum uh, you know early uh interest but the others uh, you know auto auto comp is you know definitely also uh, following quickly behind the link that's you know the other significant gainer uh, from this but the government is actively engaging and i talked about at least one sector where we are directly engaging you know with the government a pretty wide sector last year alex along with cii actually so uh, <clears throat> i think uh, I, the last thing i touch on in the interest of time it is going to be the other announcement which was also part of atmanirbhar bharat uh surprised us and surprised a few other people but something that was already in discussions uh, back in 2005 the laws were changed which basically made the ability to directly list overseas uh, for an indian company uh, not possible so you had to first list in india before you accessed uh, overseas capital markets and why i'm saying that is we've ourselves seen before that and around that the interest from small and mid-sized companies uh, you know we listed a 60 crore uh, guarding company in london in 2007 8 uh, that company is now in in excess of 1500 crores right uh, and we've seen the potential for those markets to truly open up the capital base for mid-sized companies for thereafter uh, you know to broaden the investor base for thereafter open up the brand visibility and you know also for that to be available as a currency to make acquisitions you know that company has since acquired businesses in vietnam singapore and london 
uh, yes, this is this company. is i think a fantastic example how many companies do you think will actually take over this so you know uh, i had asked i've been asking this question by the way to almost everybody who i run into who's involved yeah. uh, with, with I, the I can tell you, so, yeah yeah so i can tell you uh, about uh, <clears throat> you know 50 uh, to 60 indian companies listed overseas uh, in that you know period since we saw some sort of spike Uh, of overseas listings of indian companies if direct listings were permitted i would have expected that number to be close to 300 right so 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 i feel we would see at least 200 listings of indian companies on overseas exchanges between now and the end of this decade at least 200 You know, compared to Actually, 50. huge number, and and you know, as you rightly said, it's not just about the money; it's about the branding. You have 200 companies that are in whatever Robinhood portfolio of of some investor in the U.S. You know, yeah. that fundamentally changes how people see India. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, you know, there's 250 Chinese companies. that access to us markets despite you know their challenges you know and uh, they're facing huge uh, you know pushback or because of the you know how poor their standards are how poor their compliances are compared to us we are you know amongst the best in the world in terms of transparency at least you know the standards we adopt uh, in governance and otherwise so uh, I, i feel we will not only you know get to the number china has in terms of raising capital in the us and other markets but actually you know go way beyond that um because of you know the reasons that are you know get on the slide but it's a much broader investor base than the investor base you can access in india and if you look at certainly some uh you know sectors renewables early stage companies loss making companies small companies you know 50 crores to 500 crore companies which have huge growth potential in front of them uh, the ability to raise capital in india is still very limited public capital and 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 i just want to explain to our audience why you know one of the big challenges that happen is because india although they've softened the requirements but requires about 3 years of profitability so a lot of our very glamorous uh, famous uh, uh, ngos like uh, like amazon flipkarts of the world uh, you know who have never turned a profit uh, can actually use this i mean okay those two are bad examples but you know companies of of that size and scale as well they're not allowed to list in india because they haven't turned a three year profit absolutely absolutely uh, yeah, at least on the on the main boards you know i'm parking aside our attempts at smaller boards uh, i think the good thing here is the change in thinking i think the thinking back in 2005 was if we allow indian companies to list overseas we will take away listing opportunity from our exchanges our control over those companies what people did was effectively set up a holding company overseas and sell the shares of the indian company to that holding company effectively they ended up flipping their structure and effectively you help ended up helping indian companies and indian owners to become non residents and you know uh, overseas held uh, companies I, i think it's refreshing to see the change that we now have the confidence that you can't list on any market you want unless you have a great story right Uh, there are certain markets which are more appropriate for renewables for early stage companies for commodity companies than you know the the, the indian stock markets um, and therefore and eventually it's about creating jobs it's about you know helping those companies grow why not no, absolutely that capital and and and, and you know one thing which uh, which and i think it's about out of time but one of the things that uh, vishesh and i i didn't cover of course is you know the the dramatic hit on public finances that have happened 
uh, in the past years. I mean, uh, some of our states, Delhi, for example, is effectively bankrupt. You know, the the entire collections are down. The I mean, the tax base is getting eroded. Uh, unless the government finds a massive wall of capital and then ways to bring more and more investment in, uh, for a lot of social services, it's an existential crisis. Absolutely, that's the matter of another uh, <clears throat> another debate, you know, on our uh, you know state of public finances. Uh, of course, you know, with the pandemic having you know caused challenges that weren't foreseen earlier, even when we adopted the you know GST, and of course that's what we're seeing the government now address to this you know, borrowing mechanism that they put in place. But let's not, let's not, uh, you know, we'll have to find another opportunity to discuss that i think uh, okay, uh, last last big question right you know uh, two big reforms that that you sort of see are game changers right one i think uh, this entire thing around labor codes assuming the implementation is imperfect just like gst still a massive massive reform the second we've talked about is this entire uh, direct overseas listing huge opportunities for startups for companies who are in there uh, to really, really get those big valuations and find exits into a larger pools of capital, um, and 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 I think a 200 number, 300 number, I completely agree with you, is 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 not just reasonable; it's probably conservative. Uh, third big reform that you think that will really bring pos- uh, positivity uh, for next year. Uh, very difficult Aditya, to you know pick one out. I talked about everything, you know, IBC. Uh, <laughs> GST, you know, company tax simplification. I talked about you know, the corporate tax rate uh, simplification uh, <clears throat> reduction in the country. The new education policy. Sorry, I'm suffering from this terrible viral. Hopefully, it's not. It isn't COVID. Uh, <clears throat> pretty sure it's not COVID. Uh, you know, the new education policy. You you touched on it yourself. Uh, the uh, uh, you know. Do you think uh, the government is done with I, reforms, I, or or I, or, I, or still we can expect? Yeah, I just think you know. If I was to pick one out, it is going to be the uh, end of government monopoly and you know opening everything up to the private sector, which will you know kickstart the process of uh, actually hasten the process of privatization uh, in our country because the intent becomes clear. I think uh, uh, the uh, you know that would be the one you know reform I would say we probably in the entire after the announcements. Everything else, we probably did not, you know, appreciate the government for uh, enough. That is a huge, huge. Uh, and 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 the way I love how how Vishesh put this, you know, it's 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 not just about, uh, you know, the announcements, right? It's about the intent. It's how the thinking has changed. What are the conversations you're having? Uh, are we are we discussing still, you know, pre 1991 type socialistic nanny state laws, or now are we just nitpicking on how great the reform is, right? And I think. Um, uh, the government, particularly in the last four to five months, and it's the same guys who did demonetization. I mean, if they have the guts to do that, uh, you know, everything is on the table. And I think they've shown that. I think stuff like the labor code reforms, agricultural reforms, NEPs, these are political third rail hot wires that very few governments are, are willing to touch. And here we have huge proposals being pushed out and, and being put into law very soon. So you know, I, I, I think that, that 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 gives a lot of credit and a lot of uh, positivity to what will happen in 2021, especially after we've seen all those uh, very sad-looking numbers for the past two years. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think those numbers have to be dealt with. Those numbers will be dealt with. You will see, you know, uh, numbers, but don't expect to see them before you know March 2022. Uh, don't get 
uh, disheartened looking at you know short term data i think for post pandemic we should not look at short term data if you want to look at data look at high frequency data you know, look at pmi look at vehicle registrations don't look at gdp don't look at you know uh, that those uh, that data i think you also mentioned that earlier i would you know i think there is every reason to be optimistic yes if there is one reform that the government ought to also focus on and deliver uh, that isn't you know really to the fore as much as i would like to see it currently uh, it would be that you know reform of our legal system you know, no, so absolutely that, i mean i mean uh, uh, the fact that our rank is so low in settling contracts is unsettling <laughs> i mean, I mean I just again look at the positive of that you know just i i i'm an optimist at heart just imagine if we could fix that what's the sort of fdi we could get in the country what's the sort of foreign investment we would get because i speak to investors and that's the one thing they say oh yeah i know as 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 an indian company i would double or triple our, our investments right because you know when you can when you can trust a contract guess what you sign a lot more of those right because you trust that performance is going to happen and you and, and you don't waste time you know 3 to 4 months just will this work will this not work the risk appetite changes is is the ability to take anyone to court if you feel you've been wrong right whether that's an investor whether that's a business partner even whether that's a regulator or government right so i i think if we can you know give people that certainty uh <clears throat> that there is legal recourse right that that the paper they sign the contract they sign will be enforced right and within, I, I, that would be Period, within the time period, right? I don't think that's the big one. I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, in in India, contracts do get enforced, but sometimes that's five to ten years, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So I think you know a lot to be optimistic. It is going to be a you know vertical climb for our economy. Fasten your seatbelts. Uh, uh, not everything that you see in reform will make everyone happy, uh, but that is the cost of seeing this seeing this transformation. Um, absolutely so and 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 i think you and i both agree on this right we'd rather have you know 20 30 blockbuster reforms done reasonably well within a short period of time rather than you know achingly wait 5 years for one good reform right <laughs> it's better to just get them out and then we'll fix them as 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 things go go on uh, version 1.0 is always you know my approach you know let's not try and you know perfect everything Uh, thank you so much for coming in. I love the numbers. I think this is exactly what we wanted to hear. Thank you so much for the audience.